This is Madaraja from Pinez, which means to think. A show about authors, creators, and influencers who share narratives about their culture and identity. Welcome to the show. I'll never forget the first time I took an in-school survey. It was about drug use in adolescence, but those questions didn't bother me. The survey before it did. Age, 13. Sex, <laughs> I mean, uh, male. Race, check one. My heart drops. I raise my hand and whisper, I don't really want to check just one. Teacher reminds me to follow directions, check one. So I guess I should pick who I am today. So today I'm Mexican. I wear my hair only two inches, gelled down, slipped back so hard, bullets would ricochet right off of me. I want to make sure that they get that I'm at least Chicano. No puedo hablar español muy bien, pero my last name is Perez, and I hope that counts for something. But today I'm black. I took the gel out my hair because my stepdad called me nigger. I should braid it now, fit my role, right? I never forget the first time somebody told me, yeah, yeah, you my nigga, but you, you not really black. It made my heart turn angry because I gave up my Mexican side today, hoping that my black friends would pick me up. So again, I am Mexican. The teacher walks up to me and speaks Spanish, embarrassed. I say I, I can't really speak it, but on the inside, I wonder if I should cherish this as a win because I was finally accepted as who I feel I am. But today, I am nothing because somebody asked me, what are you as if my race preceded being human, ran their fingers through my hair to show me that my body is not my own. I lose everything and nothing each time this happens. So when someone tells me to check one, I refuse to answer. And this test is a refusal. This refusal is a testament to my histories. You gotta think back then, see, shackles been taken off, but niggas still think back then we are dreadlocked. Let me repeat that. I said locked in dread. We can't get thin back because our skin's black and I can't get thin back because my skin ain't. I can't take back the moment my abuelita silenced her native tongue and painted my mom American the same color my face gets when I'm spoken to in a language that was stolen from me. This color is embarrassment. I cannot find my histories in their textbooks. Every single one of my lands taken. I want my then back, but they keep telling me that history is written by the victors. But don't you know that my name comes from Conqueror and my blood is from the Yaki tribe? I want my then back so that check one boxes to make my hands tremble to make me forget the voice box that my then gives me now. So now I rap and I rhyme because I want time back. Better yet, I want mine back. Matter of fact, two times that because even the time that we had now is their time halved. This is to the has to the have-nots, from the barrios to the cell blocks, I am still learning how to pronounce my own name. I am learning my histories. I am learning to take the weight of colonization off of my tongue. I am sharpening it to check those, trying to check one me, checkmate. I am future without your histories. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Snapping all around. That was, that was amazing. I could just hear, literally, there was so much soul in that. That was, that was beautiful. Well, on that note, guys, I'm sitting here with Vincente Perez, the man, the father, the husband, poet, musician, and spoken word artist. I mean, there are so many titles 
that you hold. There's so much that you do. So I would first like to thank you for being here. It is truly a pleasure to meet you in person. And, you know, I like to start off the interview by asking what the premise is of your writing. I think I'm really focused on the power of narrative. I mean, all the time we talk about stories and we talk about advice and there's like lots of money and people telling other people how to live their lives and how to think about their lives. I didn't want to do something like that, but I thought what is important about my experience and I felt like my experience was that I had a story that I felt other people could relate to and more importantly, it wasn't being shared elsewhere. And so my work is really about telling stories that I felt uh, a lot of people haven't told before. And if people have told them, they've not been respected or seen as uh, tools of survival. And so far from just being casual stories that people tell one another, I think narrative is actually one of the most powerful things in the world. Um, it's kind of cliche, but um, everything that happens in the world uh, from belief systems to politics comes from the stories that you believe, whether it's about yourself or other people. And I think it's crucial that we start thinking about those stories that we learn. And so my, my work is all about telling a story and telling it plain as day, uh, but also uh, being very real about my experiences and using my personal experiences. Right, of course. It always takes that, just that first person to start talking about, you know, their own experiences in order to really, um, you know, just show a, self, a sense of awareness. And um, what 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 is your narrative? You know, what what is your story? What are you trying to tell the world? Yeah, um, my story is mostly about being a young black and Latino boy um, and thinking about my in-betweenness. Right. And so when folks see me, um, some folks know I'm uh, what they call mixed. Um, some folks um, know I'm black and something else. Some people believe I'm just Mexican. Some people don't know. And so with all that, there has to be something within it. And I personally found that when I focus my story on the in-betweenness and the ways that people aren't able to categorize me, and the way that that's let me slip into different communities and see how people talk about one another mm -hmm. and their stories, right. that's just a crucial experience that not a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, whether it's uh, people of color, have their experiences. You know, people um, who are um, who are white have their experiences and their stories. And it's kind of this other experience when you're not automatically coded as one thing and you're able to move move through the world. I mean, I've had people you know, not accept me for who I was, and that's like its own issue. Then I've had people who have an easier time accepting me in my politics because I'm light-skinned. And so there's just so much there that and I felt like... And is it like, all because of ethnicity? Is it yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the way people have learned to think about race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to ethnicity, uh, my Mexican family, you know, it's like no one ever really wanted me to be black right. because that meant a very specific thing to them. And that's, you know, that horizontal racism that goes on where mm -hmm. people of color learn about other people of color. And so it's like that was going on in my Mexican family. And then as I, you know, moved into, you know, thinking more about my blackness and being part of uh, a diaspora, knowing that race isn't just skin tone, I've had a lot of black folks accept me because of my politics and the other black folks be very, very um, hesitant about accepting someone who's light, who's a man and who wants to talk about these kinds of things. Just making it very clear that... Just because you don't fit the 
picture. Yeah, the, the picture. People mm -hmm. automatically don't automatically code me. And so there's so many different layers that my narrative is about looking at those layers, looking at the ways I fit in and I don't fit in, and trying to use those experiences mm -hmm. um, to tell a story. So how did you find your identity within the different, you know, without being fully accepted? Yeah, so I think actually narrative, it comes back to that. Poetry right. was one of the first ways I really learned to accept parts of my blackness. I mean, when you're when you're a young kid who um, you know is coded as Mexican for most of the time, but then you grow your hair out and you have your curls and you can't style it the way everybody else is styling it, you start to feel a little weird. You start to feel different. And so I started to use poetry to talk about the things I was going through. As a kid, I was a very angry, radical person. And so poetry was the way that I got that out in what I felt was a safe environment and so is that's that how where, I explored is that where subversive comes from yeah yeah, yeah. so that's okay, where so. like really I explored my blackness was by being very political and thinking mm -hmm. you know looking at Malcolm X's writings looking at the birth of hip-hop as a very very you know hybrid music type I mean right. it's it's so many different cultures came together in order to produce hip-hop and you know it's a, it's a huge part of black culture and it's a huge kind of testament to how diasporic black people are and so as I got into hip hop, I started rapping and doing poetry. Someone jokingly kind of gave me these this this name of subversive because I was always political. I was never kind of casually rapping about what typical pop or hip hop rappers rap about. I mean, they people were saying like you're always preaching, so they mm -hmm. called me preach for a little bit, and that was like its own joke. And then just subversive came out of just knowing that I was never ever gonna personally, and other people can do it, and that's beautiful. Hip hop's like this huge genre, but I was never gonna personally ever not be very political with with my writings and so you know i just got involved with blackness i started thinking more about social justice and just trying to use my voice because people always said you know you have a great voice you should use it try to use it for good in that way what experience you know what was your first experience um with dealing with the you know identity crisis when did you actually realize like oh am i black or am i latino yeah, yeah well so it's been kind of like throughout my life, I always like knew my biological father is black, but he wasn't around. So I always knew that I was black, but it was something I never really had to think a bunch about. Right. And so really when I started getting to middle school, when my hair started to grow out longer, and when I started to say, you know, like I am black and I want to identify as black, that's when the, are you sure? I'm not seeing it. You know, here's how you might be, here's how you might not be. Those conversations really started in middle school. And so I actually captured that entire experience, even though it was, you know, over months and months of times and there were a bunch of microaggressions and a bunch of times in my life where these crises were happening. I kind of wow. put it down into one story of remembering that I needed to take the survey before I did this other survey. And it was a demographic aspect. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that they said was check one. It was at that time, it wasn't a mark all that apply or check the ones that apply. I sat there and looked at Mexican slash Latino, black, Native American, white, other. Mm -hmm. And it was a, just a shocking experience that I sat there and was like, most people are gonna mark something and keep it moving, but I couldn't, it felt wrong. And so I raised my hand and tried to ask the teacher, you know, like, is there any way that I can do something different? And you know, they're telling me like, you need to just mark one. If you don't feel like one captures you, then go ahead and mark other. And so it's just like to be marked other in that space. And I didn't know what it meant at that time. I just knew that it just didn't feel good. And so that of course. that experience was really what started the, wow, like this is going to be something I'm going to have to navigate for the rest of my life. Yeah, according to this piece of paper, you don't even have a set title. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter. You're just 
other. And it's and it's wild because that you know back to this idea of narrative, the power of narrative. I mean, that power of you're one or the other. Mm-hmm. That narrative is it has been dispelled so many times, but it's still so powerful in our society. The the two thousand census was the first time that you were ever able to mark that you were multiracial. Wow. And so it's just like knowing that it's just amazing to think about, you know, how are people forced into these boxes all the time? How does that, you know, keep them from certain connections, from certain cultural upbringings, from whole aspects of life uh, just by being forced into a box and, and thinking you have to stay there? Right. And that's what's so beautiful about having you here right now is that you're able to talk about it. You're able to step out of that box. You know, they didn't have the opportunity and means to do so because that was just the norm. How old were you when you started to realize this, these things? Because you're still, you're 23 now. I yeah. mean, you're still very young and you've, you've already accomplished so much in just being self-aware and telling your story and being so confident in doing so. Um, you know, when this, um, when the, uh, when you were checking this box off, like how old were you at that time? Yeah, that was middle school. So wow. somewhere between... 11 and 14, you know, yeah. somewhere, somewhere in there. I think it was probably when I was about 12. I don't, I don't know the exact age, but I know maybe someone else can like backtrack and figure out when you're given that survey. <laughs> yeah. But it was the like uh, the MOXA survey. During this time, like at that age, when you started taking the, you know, the negative uh, thoughts or energy and started putting it down into writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I started poetry right about 13, so it was in, in that area. I, I was probably just, as I was mentioning earlier, probably just angry mm-hmm. and political for a long time, and then I started to use poetry as a way to get out of it. But that is crazy impressive. How do you do that at such a young age? You know, mm-hmm. most people at that age would just act out, you know, just yeah. find some way to let the anger out, and you took it, and you put it to good use. Yeah. You know, you took a negative situation, and you tried to you know, turn it into a positive outcome. Yeah. And not only that, you also turn it into, you know, a teaching opportunity at such a young age because eventually you were going to have the world listen to your words. That was my hope. Uh, All I knew was that I I was able to be told by many people around me, um, like, you need to do something with your voice. And it it's it's great that I had that support network, but it also meant that so many people who were like me didn't have that support network, and that was what was really powerful for me. I just I felt a, a big responsibility to you know not to show my peers that there was another way, even though I was going through so much. And really, I had I had to write. I had to write to to save my own life. I didn't see myself represented in any other writings. I didn't see my experiences represented anywhere, and. I didn't see people take the politics that I had seriously. And so, you know, it was all about, you know, smart kids are listened to or smart kids get supported. And so I used that in order to take that platform that I was given because of that, you know, title and do something with it. Because I was watching my friends have the same thoughts that I was having, but they didn't have the same, they didn't want to do poetry, you know, they didn't want to be political, but they had the same exact thoughts from similar experiences. Mm-hmm. And so it was always like, you know, you just need to use your writing as a way to make it, make it out. You know, and, and so you was writing as a, a very, very real tool, a very real self-care tool. And when you realized that this was, you know, your mission, this is what you wanted to do, how did you improve your writing? What did, how did you start, really? Yeah, so I, I started basically, when I was 13, I just started writing poetry. And so that meant that uh, I was, I had like a crazy home life at that time. Like, right when all this stuff was happening was actually when my family was going through a bunch of bouts of homelessness. 
Uh, there was domestic abuse in my family. And so I, like I said, I, I'm, it's not a joke at all. I started writing to live. I needed to write out my feelings. Wow. My first writings, I, I still remember them. Um, they were just anger and trying to find a way to put some words to my feelings. And that's something that not everyone had. And so I just did that. And then I started realizing that I was rapping every time that I did that. And so I actually started in the spoken word and hip hop area by uh, rapping first and then it turned into spoken word poetry. I actually didn't start spoken word poetry until I got to college. And so I'd always been writing, but um, before I got to college at about 18, um, 16 to 18, I dropped two mixtapes. And so I was wow. in my room with my, you know, uh, my Air, my MacBook Air, uh, with my it. school, with my school laptop, just just writing and just being as prolific as I could be. And I was messing up and I was finding what worked and what didn't work. I would try to fit on certain hats. And so really I was supported by my friends and like my support network just encouraged me to keep doing poetry. You know, you're not, you're not always gonna be perfect. Keep doing art, never letting anybody take your expression away from you. Be as angry as you need to be, but put it into this writing. And so I just kept going with it. And so I, it, it's literally just practice. And um, I was, really just felt like I was born and made for this type of thing. I'm, you know, I, whenever I talk, I, people tell me that I get into this rhythm when I just talk and that <laughs> I can whenever I just it. do I'm anything, drawn, I'm just like, it's like you're preaching, but I don't, I still want to listen to you. And so mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I try to stay as humble as I can be, but also knowing that not everyone has that ability. And so if communication is my number one tool, use it. And so. I think what it is with you, um, I think what, pe what people are, drawn to is the fact that you're not right now from what I see is that you're not talking at me you're kind of you're speaking to me and you're it seems like you're just you're very passionate about it it seems like it's something that comes from it comes from the heart it comes from the experience it comes from what you know so that's what keeps me you know listening and very Speaking intrigued up. it's Speaking I can up. tell that it's something that's very um special to you so what should readers or listeners expect from you you know what makes your writing different I think People are just kind of thrown back by how how genuine and straightforward I am. A lot of people, and it's not a it's not a negative thing. It's just there's a trend, and whenever you think about history, mm -hmm. everything has to be this elaborate, flowery language, and it just doesn't touch as many people as you want it to. And so I don't do poetry like I went and got a beat, you know, a, a, a bachelor's in you know creative writing. I don't mm -hmm. write poetry. Like I have a master's in fine art. I write poetry because it's literally how I think about the world. And so from hip hop to black culture to, you know, Latino culture, just thinking about using the type of things that I know and just being as real and open, as honest as I can be. And so I think people are just thrown, are thrown back by how just straightforward I am. And that's mm -hmm. powerful when people think of poetry to be this kind of like intricate thing. And you know, it's not to say that you can't be very simple and straightforward and also be intricate. But I think it's just a testament to what people learn about poetry. So I take what people think they know about poetry and I turn it against them. Because like when you look at me, you don't necessarily see a poet. You don't necessarily see a father. You might not have known that I was black and Latino. Right. So I know these things that my audience knows about me and I turn it against them. You know, when, it, mm -hmm. when it's poetry and I'm in this space where people are talking about these crazy topics, but I'm, you know, I'm cursing. And, you know, I'm telling it straight like it is, like how you hear people talk about it on the streets. Mm -hmm. That's way different than when people are able to kind of like build it up and turn it's it into this like a... intelligent, over-intelligent thing. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of just see it. And for me, my biggest power is just being simple, straightforward, 
but making a connection or showing some type of representation of something that people don't think of before. Right. And so it's like taking high art, you know, taking, you know, my elitist ass education and using all I learned there, but putting it in poetry so that it's digestible, so that it's understandable, it's that, so that's relatable. And that's the focus of my work is just being relatable, telling a story that I feel the audience is gonna get and telling a story that the audience needs to hear regardless of if they want to hear it. I'm not actually yeah. too worried about whether or not they want to hear the things mm -hmm. that I have to say. I think that a lot of my work touches on things we don't want to talk about and that's where the power comes from. It's because the, these narratives are working all the time, but we don't always know that they're there. It's almost like a culture shock. Yeah. Definitely would be. They're kind of diving into, or just, you know, stepping in, getting a glimpse of what's go what goes on in your world which could be very different to what they're used to oh, yeah. so it's it's something very new you know so it's always it's always going to be shocking whether they want to hear it or not and how do you keep it going now how do you keep the creative juices flowing um you know what's advice that you could actually share with different people with the same passion yeah i think i think there's a time when you know when to step back from things when to work really hard on things and when to kind of keep things on the back burner. I think that's really important for, for constant writing because if you want to do well, you actually do have to constantly be writing. Mm -hmm. And so if you can find 10 minutes at the end of the day to write something, I feel that's a lot better than not writing anything at all. It's, you're not always writing to use what you're writing and to turn it into a performance piece right. or a spoken word poem, but you, if you can keep the way you think about the world working in a poetic way, Ooh. that's helpful. If you can find a way to no matter what you're doing, think about narratives, it, it's crucial. If you can think about pulling and teasing out something beautiful and amazing and intricate from the mundane and everyday, I think that's where inspiration has to come from. You're not always gonna be inspired and if you wanna have you know, some type of momentum, if you wanna carry yourself forward, you have to be able to, to constantly be working even if not everything is a, a final or finished project. project. You just have to Sometimes put stuff out there, you have to just keep working. You have to you know, take some time to really reflect on why you're writing um, and do different things. It's, for me, since I use so many, so much of my personal experiences, <clears throat> I always have to just check in with myself. You know, what's, what's going on that I'm not writing? And that may be the topic that ends up being the next right anyways. So why am I not writing? If I am writing, is, uh, is, is what I'm writing worth it? Is it important that I get these things out or am I just writing to write? Mm -hmm. And knowing all of that as I'm writing helps keep me on track. So would you say it's your more powerful voice just because it's a it's, it, deeper yeah. message? It's a, it's a deeper message. It's it's where I find, I have personally found the most acceptances in the black community. Right. It's just thinking about um, just being real and straightforward and using kind of storytelling to do something important. Uh, you know, like uh, one of the biggest barriers, and you know, I talk, I write about it a lot, is the language barrier that I have. You know, I don't speak, I don't speak Spanish, mm -hmm. and so for a lot of my life, that was the crisis. The crisis for me was figuring out how to be Mexican but not speak Spanish. And you know, there are a lot of people who still welcome me in. You know, but I think it's important for people to have their spaces. And if mm -hmm. I can't get into a space because I can't speak Spanish, I'm not going to interrupt that space. I'm just going to think about, you know, how 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 what does that teach me about identity? What does that teach me about how much work we have to, uh, people of color have to do to promote solidarity between each other so that we between each other so that we can see you know that like you know not everybody's you know trying to infiltrate for a bad reason you know so it's just kind of playing 
it's just playing on the tightrope of knowing to transgress with my art and to use some of the experiences in some ways and to keep certain conversations and topics out of the public. Mm -hmm. And so I just have found that the black community is more supportive of my work. Uh, when I write about the work about finding my own blackness, it's a more raw and genuine experience. Um, and so I just kind of use that vantage point um, as much as I could to talk about intricate parts of the black experience that not a lot of people can focus on or think about. Yeah. And is, is the language barrier kind of a huge deal? Does it, um, does it push you off to the side a bit or? Yeah, I would say it's a huge deal. I mean, it's not like intentionally being pushed off to right. the side, but there's just something about being able to speak your native tongue that mm -hmm. means a lot to folks. And that's important and beautiful. And like I mentioned, I would never want to infiltrate mm -hmm. that. And so I never want to you know, mess with that at all. And so it's not that I'm intentionally kept away from things, but it's that I would never want to make a space feel uncomfortable because I was in it. Or I would never want to make people feel like they were forced, they needed to speak English, allowed me to talk about my experiences being Mexican and not speaking Spanish and still focusing on Latino community, focusing on Latino issues, thinking about documentation, thinking about all these same topics that I should talk about, but talking about it from my vantage point. I can't do anything about, you know, not being able to speak Spanish, you know, I want to learn and eventually will, but until I do, you know, spaces that only speak Spanish or spaces that only speak Spanish, and I would never force anybody to change that. I think just all I can do, ever do, is tell my story, and I don't try to tell other people's stories, so. Yeah, so I, mean, I can definitely understand that. I'm, I mean, I'm Arab myself, and um, I speak really okay Arabic. It's what mm -hmm. they call broken Arabic. Mm -hmm. So when it's, you know, just me among my friends, or with, you know, me and my mom, I, I don't mind speaking Arabic at all. I'm very comfortable with it. But once I'm actually in a room full of Arabs, you know, whether it's my mom's friends or a party or whatever, and they start speaking to me, and I understand everything, but right. when I speak, first of all, the dialect is different as well. And so they're all, they'll always go like, wait, what'd you say, huh? And you, you don't want to mess it up. You don't yeah. want to offend anyone. And so. how could you not know something that's supposed to be so, what you've been told is so crucial to who yeah, you are. I mean, how exactly. can you be exactly. this? And so I, my work is about taking that experience and doing something with mm -hmm. it. I mean, I feel like the uncomfort that I have, you know, having to, you know, toe between these two worlds, that's something that needs to be present in my poetry because it's so present in my life. And so if I can't make my audience feel what that discomfort must feel like, I'm not doing my job as a poet. You know, if I can't talk about being light-skinned and also to still talk about colorism and racism in the black community, then I'm not using my platform for good. I mean, mm -hmm. so it's just knowing all these things, being smart, being knowing why they all happen, and then making the best kind of plan to deal with it as you can. And I think it's, as I was mentioning, just telling a story from your vantage point and only your vantage point. And you're, you're a teacher now, right? Yeah. What do yeah. you teach? And so um, I uh, teach with Youth Ambassadors. Okay. And so it's a local nonprofit uh, kind of job, uh, soft skills program. Okay, so as a teacher mm -hmm. and as a father now, yeah. um, well, actually, I don't know how long you've been a father, but as a teacher and <laughs> as a father, <laughs> how do you, you know, how would you, how do you teach your students or how do you teach your son or daughter, um, you know, they're mm -hmm. balancing the different yeah. ethnicities as well, the different races, you know, how, what, how do you teach them how to cope with it and how to embrace each part of them? Yeah, I, I was just very vulnerable mm -hmm. in my, my first chapbook, which is on my shirt, mm -hmm. uh, Blackness and Latinidad. And so that was actually all about that experience when I, you know, realized I was going to have kids and I realized they were going to be facing my same issues. Yeah. I felt like they needed a, a how-to guide on how to deal with all these issues. And so you're never going to be able to walk in and perfectly explain racism 
mm-hmm. perfectly explain to the person how it's going to impact them and how you know they're going to have to individually decide how to deal with it. Because as a person of color, as you walk through a white world, you have to de- deal with and navigate these things all the time, whether it's a small, casual, racist joke that's told between someone you thought was your friend or whether it's constantly seeing people look like you, you know, be killed on TV. You have to find a way to deal with those. And so I took that just very personal experience that I had and I put it on the page and let my son see that, you know, they're not always going to be right, that there's going to be issues and we're going to have to choose between the two and they're going to have to know that the world is constantly going to make them feel that way and that they can find a, a safe and healthy view of the racial and ethnic identity. And what are you working on currently? What's in the works? Yeah, so I, I really, when I wrote my first book, Blackness and Latinidad, I wrote it and I thought that, as I was mentioning earlier, it was for my sons and I was going to talk about, you know, being a young, multiracial person. What I realized towards the end of it, and I started, you know, performing around, the, you know, the U.S., you know, going to Denver, doing curriculum and started um, and doing kind of uh, presentations on Latinidad and blackness in Nebraska, I started thinking about the fact that my poetry stood for something more than just simply wanting to talk to my sons. And so what I meant by that was my poetry was getting to these big, large, macro-level processes like racism, you know, sexism, misogyny, colorism, and these very, very intricate but personal stories. And so I realized the stories meant more than my intentions going into writing the story. The stories are talking about society. The stories are talking about the ways that you have to navigate the world as a person of color. And that was more important than, you know, just talking about the awkwardness of being Mm -hmm. multiracial. And so I realized that what was important about my work was that I was telling stories that other people hadn't told before. What was important about my work was that I was getting to an experience that so many people found you know, just disjointing and weird, but talking about it in such a way that they were able to relate to it, even if they weren't, for example, mixed in the same way that I was. And so the stories themselves were more important than the poems. They were more, it was more important to be performing in front of people and to get these ideas out there than it was to be writing a book by itself. Mm-hmm. And so my new project that I'm working on, I just want to capture on that power of the narrative. And so it's going to be called The Stories That We Tell Ourselves to Live. Oh, wow. And so it's thinking about powerful title. writing the way that we need to write in order to make ourselves be represented. So for me, you know, talking about that, those experiences of being multiracial, it was so important because other people who are also, especially black and Latino, mm-hmm. said that my work did something for them. That they... Is it going to be like short stories? Yeah. Or... Okay. So it's actually going to be, so uh, it's actually going to be an ethnographic project. Okay. And so I'm going to be talking to some educators who maybe don't actually have the term educator mm-hmm. uh, because, I mean, like, as I mentioned, I'm a teacher, but I'm, I'm not certified. You know, I don't have a certification in Kansas right. or Missouri to teach. I teach in a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. But I've done great work there because I've thrown away the general, you know, um, lesson plan scripts and wrote what was real to these students to teach them about politics. Right. And so I've been an educator throughout my life, whether it's through my poetry or whether it's through my mentorship of other folks, mm-hmm. but I'm not given that term. Why is that? And I think that's because of the way we understand education, mm-hmm. the way that we understand, you know, form formalities. And so I want to think about and talk to some other people where survival is key, a uh, key central idea in their work, but they're not maybe called educators, but they have something to teach us in life. Yeah. Along with, you know, the poems that I write to people like me uh, about, you know, the stories that I had to tell myself to live, to mm-hmm. let writing be the way that I saw myself be represented. Yeah. So, yeah.
Yeah, I'm definitely, I would love a, you know, copy of that once it's there. Mm -hmm. It sounds very interesting. I'd love to take a read. I am, um, I actually definitely want to read Blackness of Tina Dunn. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I like, like it a the, lot. the cleverness of the black, you know. Oh, yeah. you know, when I, when I read it the first time, I thought it said blacklessness mm -hmm. at first. But yeah. it's lackness and then oh okay that's yeah so I, 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 like I can I can talk a little bit about why I chose this yes, title for my yeah. first book I mean I I was focused on liminality so I was mm -hmm. focused on that in-between feeling and being caught between two two what people have told me are two different worlds of blackness mm -hmm. and latinidad and latinidad is just kind of the Spanish version of like latinness oh and so okay. it's very similar to like blackness so it's like latinidad oh so it's not latini so your dad's not oh my god <laughs> yeah so I loved it that, yeah so like I thought I was really clever with this book title yes. so I was talking I was thinking about this experience of experience of in-betweenness thinking about liminality mm -hmm. thinking about blackness and thinking about latinidad and I wanted to write about blackness and latinidad from my perspective being in both not being seen as either sometimes and what that all meant. When I started to write and I realized I was writing also to other multiracial youth, I was thinking about the fact that I was becoming a father at that time. And so that's where the parentheses around dad came from. Mm -hmm. But in terms of blackness and the parentheses around lack, my experience of blackness and what I've learned about blackness has actually been to my experience of having a lack of skin color a lack of acceptance in the community mm -hmm. and so rather than you know kind of like boohoo cry about it i focus on like what that experience was for me it's really interesting interesting story yeah i think that's a very creative title and i think that a lot of people are going to appreciate the fact that you accepted the situations you were in i i, I usually call it like leverage and privilege yeah. like i know and yeah, i think privilege. it's really important to think about how light-skinned folks and you know uh, communities of color are treated far differently than their peers who are uh, have a darker skin tone. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing that I want to do besides eradicate that idea of you know colorism. I can't get rid of that idea by s pretending that I don't benefit from it. I benefit from colorism. I mm -hmm. benefit from being light skinned and having people say, you know, I want to hear what he has to say about blackness. I benefit from that. And so I talk about colorism in my work. I don't shy away from it. I talk right. about the privilege. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about thinking about narrative. What do we tell ourselves about ourselves? And how can we change that message for the generations to come? I love that. I love that. You are the solution, <laughs> Vincente. <laughs> you found it. You are it. So once again, thank you so much for being here, Vincente. For those of you listening, if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to keep up with Vincente, he has a website. It is IamSubversive.com and his book, Blackness and Latino Gat, is available on that website. Thank you all for listening. To listen to more creatives and influencers, visit www.penez.com. Thank you.